Hello, and welcome to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 43. We're going back farther in history than we've ever gone in this episode. We're taking a look at the Roman Empire, Emperor Nero, and Poisoner Legusta. One of the most well-known classical poison concoctors was Legusta of Gaul, who practiced her trade in the Roman Emperor throughout the first century. Although very little has been published about her, one fact sticks out. She might have been one of the first serial killers in history. The majority of the information on Lacusta that we have comes from classical male historians who weren't even acquainted with her, such as Tacitus, Suetonius, and Cassius. Since she herself did not leave a written account of her own life, many details about her are only vaguely known. What is known is as follows. Gaul, an outlying region of ancient Rome, that is today known as France, is where Lacusta was born. She gained expertise in herbs, mastered the patronage system, and established herself as a trustworthy assassin. Rome was teeming with wealthy potential sponsors, anxious to hasten the demise of wealthy relatives, which benefited Lacusta. These customers also consistently bailed her out of jail when things didn't go as planned. According to Roller for HistoryHit.com, poisoning became a common means of murder as people's knowledge of poisons slowly increased. People in positions of authority became paranoid, and many of them started using slaves as tasters, taking a bite of each food or beverage before it was consumed to ensure its safety. Belladonna, sometimes referred to as deadly nightshade, was one of the most widely utilized herbs for making poisons in antiquity. By the first century, writers were documenting the dosages required to cause death, as well as hallucinations. Poison administration was now a skill that could be learned. King Mithridates was a forerunner in the search for cures for the more prevalent poisons. He developed a potion known as Mithridatium, which is frequently referred to as a universal antidote, and which blended minute amounts of dozens of traditional herbal treatments to treat a variety of ailments. Although it was far from perfect, it was useful in reducing the effects of some poisons. And by the time Pliny the Elder wrote in the first century, there were over 7,000 poisons that were well known. Uncertainty surrounds how Lacusta came to be identified as a professional poisoner, but she eventually relocated from her native area to Rome. Since she had already been incarcerated on poison-related charges when she started working for a member of the imperial court, she must have established quite a notorious reputation while living in Rome. Agrippinia the Younger, Emperor Claudius's fourth wife, and niece, planned to get rid of him so that her son, whom she had given birth to from a different marriage, might succeed to the throne. Agrippinia already had one son, the future emperor Nero, when she wed Claudius. But the youngest son of Claudius was a different boy, 
named Britannicus, and Agrippinia was devoted to her son and vowed to support him as he ascended to the throne as his closest confidant and counselor. In the end, she succeeded in persuading her husband to designate his stepson Nero as his successor rather than Britannicus. But Agrippinia appears to have grown weary of waiting for Nero to ascend the throne, so she decided to take matters into her own hands. According to legend, Lacusta's first royal assignment was to assassinate Claudius, the emperor. Now, he was allegedly given a poisoned mushroom by Lagusta, but it wasn't lethal. It was only risky enough to send him to the toilet so that he would have to vomit it back up. What Claudius didn't know is that the feather's tip, which was frequently employed during this time period to force someone to vomit, was also poisoned with belladonna. The Emperor Claudius would die early on October 13th, 54, as a result of the two poisons working together to kill him within a short period of time. And like I mentioned earlier, it's unknown how accurate this story is, or how much Legusto was actually involved, if at all. Claudius, however, was almost certainly poisoned, according to historical opinion. Now, when Agrippinia decided to murder her husband, she made one very grave error in judgment. She thought that her relationship with Nero would secure her position, and at first it appeared that the two ruled Rome together. Coins bearing both of their likenesses were produced, and rumors that Nero and his mother had an incestuous relationship as a result of their disturbing closeness spread. Regarding Agrippinia's past, this claim was nothing new, because she had already been charged with having an affair with her brother Caligula when he was emperor. But let's pause on Agrippinia for now, because the next time we hear about Lagusta is in 55 AD, during Nero's rule, just one year after Claudius's passing. According to some versions, Legusta was detained on suspicion of killing Claudius, but the new emperor, Nero, released and rehired her. Because Claudius still had a son out there, the young man named Britannicus, and Nero needed Legusta's lethal services. Even though the youngster wasn't even a teenager, Nero was worried that he would steal the throne and pose a challenge to his power. Agrippinia had assisted her 17-year-old son Nero in his first year of power, but after he began a romance with a freed woman, which Agrippinia vehemently disapproved of and severely reprimanded him for, she began to lose control over Nero. Agrippinia then began to back Britannicus in her alleged attempt to install him as emperor or to intimidate her son. The terrified emperor now had to choose between killing his mother or his stepbrother. Nero would employ poison to maintain his position on the throne, just as it had put him there. The emperor developed misgivings about Britannicus, his stepbrother, because of his better claim to the throne. He, Nero, was not a blood relative of Claudius. So Nero decided to call Lacusta 
and asked for a poison that would instantaneously kill Britannicus. In exchange for the poisonous mixture, he promised her a pardon. In order to make the poison, Legesta used belladonna and added arsenic, mandrake, and hellbore. When the opportunity arose to poison Britannicus, it failed. To make the death appear less suspicious and more natural, it looks like Legesta chose to use arsenic, but administered uh, too small of a quantity. Nero likewise wanted to approach the situation gingerly, but when the assassination failed, he lost his temper. He personally flogged Legesta for failing to poison effectively. Nero lost interest in being cautious. He also instructed Legesta to test her poison on unwitting subjects in order to confirm its potency. The murder required a lot of skill because everything was taste tested before being served to Britannicus. Poison could not be added to his meals or beverages at will. The food tester would die instantly and his employer would be unharmed if the poison was fast acting. If the poison was slow acting, the fact that the food tester's employer also fell ill could be used as evidence that they were poisoned, leading to suspicion being placed on the murderer. Both situations needed to be prevented. So at a party, Britannicus received a cup of hot but completely safe wine, as was the custom to add hot water to wine at this time. After tasting it, the taster was uninjured. Britannicus, however, started gasping immediately and then stopped breathing. The wine itself didn't contain any poison. Britannicus cooled his wine by pouring into it a carafe of ice-cold water. It was the water that contained the poison. Nero revealed during his brother's struggle that he frequently experienced epileptic fits as he died in front of the crowd while gasping for air. As you can expect, Nero was very happy that his plan had worked, and he owed Lagusta a lot of credit. To reward her, he gave Lagusta her own estates, slaves, and a host of opulent gifts as compensation for her role in the murder. Even students were sent to Legesta's new homes by Nero to master her poisonous trade. Now Agrippinia was ejected from the palace by her son and was compelled to move into the imperial residence in 56. However, her influence over her son persisted for a few more years, often regarded as Nero's most prosperous years. However, as their relationship deteriorated, Nero progressively stripped his mother of her titles and authority, and even took away her bodyguards. There are many different versions of how Agrippinia died, and we can't say if any of them are true. But the story goes something like this. Agrippinia was still well-liked, so Nero determined that staging an accident would be the best way to keep the public support while getting rid of his mother. He commissioned a trick boat to be constructed that would sink when Agrippinia was on board. However, it seemed Nero was not aware of her prowess in the water. When the ship began to sink, she got to shore even with an injured arm after surviving the attempted sinking. When Nero heard the news, he became distraught 
and dispatched three men to her villa to murder her. Agrippinia died while standing her ground and facing her assassins. She was referred to as a traitor, refused a proper funeral, and interred in an unmarked cemetery. She was only 43 years old. But Nero's popularity would begin to decline, and his reign would never fully recover. Nero began to dedicate himself entirely to his lifelong interests in the arts and aesthetics after the death of his mother. Beginning in 59, he sang, played instruments, and persuaded members of the upper classes to take dance lessons. Every five years in Rome, he mandated the holding of public games. He also underwent personal training and competed as a charioteer, but his reconstruction of Rome in the wake of the deadly fire that mostly devastated the city remains his most enduring aesthetic achievement. On June 19, 64, a fire began in the early morning hours near the Circus Maximus and swiftly spread throughout the entire city. Nine days later, three of Rome's 14 districts were completely devastated and another seven suffered significant damage. Nero is described in several classical sources as being on top of his palace during the fire, dressed as a stage performer, and singing lines from a Greek epic. Rumors about the emperor starting the fire to clear space for a larger palace spread immediately. Rebuilding the city around his 100-acre royal complex consumed all of Nero's resources from the Roman treasury. He also had a 100-foot bronze statue of himself erected in the center. The Roman Empire was severely strained during the final years of Nero's rule. He was compelled to weaken the imperial currency due to the difficulties of reconstruction, uprisings in Britain, and wars with Perthia. A high-level plot to kill the emperor was discovered in 65 which prompted Nero to order the execution of a prefect as well as other senators and officers. As things at home began to fall apart, Nero embarked on a long tour of Greece, and while there he dedicated himself to music and theater, competed in the Olympics in a chariot, uh, announced pro-Hellenic political reforms, and even began an expensive and fruitless project to dig a canal. When he returned home, Nero failed to put down a rebellion in Gaul in 68, which led to more instability in Africa and Spain. Soon after, the Senate pronounced Nero to be an enemy of the people, and the Praetorian Guard pledged their loyalty to Galba. Nero would die by suicide in 68 AD, ending his tyrannical rule. After 13 years of oppressive control, he chose to act in this way rather than risk punishment after being labeled a public enemy. Nero was killed by a dagger thrust into his neck, though it appears he had previously considered taking one of Ligusta's poisons in the event that he had to die. He had concealed a deadly concoction in a gilded box. And as for Ligusta, the wealth, the notoriety, and the protection all came to an end. When Nero died, she must have known her situation would only become worse. She was in danger because she lacked the emperor's protection and because everyone knew what she had done. 
Nero's successor sent men to apprehend Legesta before she could escape. The imperial poisoner was among Nero's closest allies that were picked up. This time, no one was there to assist her in eluding the law. She seems to have been taken around the city in chains. One myth even claims that she was humiliated and tortured in the arena before being devoured by animals. Regardless of what happened, we know she died horribly. There isn't much that is known for certain about the fascinating crimes of Legesta. Although Agrippinia's involvement in Claudius's death and thus Legesta's involvement cannot be established, it's probably true that she was working for Agrippinia when Claudius passed. It's also unquestionably true that Lacusta benefited from the emperor's favor after Britannicus's death. In many ways, Nero's ominous presence casts a shadow over Lacusta. Nero is one of those classic bad guys who everyone loves to hate. Evidence demonstrates his vanity, willingness to slaughter even his own family, and excessive brutality. He preferred to display himself as an artist rather than a loyal ruler. Beyond these points, there's some reality mixed in with lots of embellishment and fabrication. However, Lacusta is arguably one of the better-known poisoners in history. Through the widespread use of poison in classical antiquity, women like her were able to forge a way of life in a society that was unkind to unmarried foreign-born women. Her life's work highlights the part poison played in Roman society, as well as how cruel and wicked Roman civilization was, despite its grandeur. But was she the first ever serial killer, like some people say? I'm not so sure. She only had two identified victims, Claudius and Britannicus, and her actions were in service to and sanctioned by the emperor, so it's complicated at best. But we know her legacy lives on. The poisoner, Madame de Villefort, is frequently compared to Lacusta in the 1844 book The Count of Monte Cristo, also one of the characters in the historical film Humanity Through the Ages from 1908 was Lacusta. And finally, in the 1965 Doctor Who adventure The Romans, Anne Terrard plays the character of Lacusta, who was referred to as the official poisoner to the court of Caesar Nero, and is shown as being comically unconcerned with the horrific nature of the job she holds. And that will bring us to the end of another episode, the life of Lacusta, Agrippinia, and Nero. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback for us or a case suggestion of something you'd like us to cover in an upcoming episode, you can reach us on Instagram at historical true crime pod or by email at historical true crime pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.